Welcome to another edition of The War Room here on KOKC Radio. I'm your host, Sean Fry, the managing sports editor of the Parsons Sun and Chanute Tribune newspapers. No guests this week. Uh, just it's the summer, one, and I was actually uh, sick earlier in the week, uh, so a scheduled guest I was going to have on, uh, we missed our date, and that was actually on my end. Uh, so uh, I'm in recovery now. I'm feeling fine. I just caught a stomach bug or something like that. I just was, uh, you know, not that, you know, expulsions were were common, but, uh, you know, I'm feeling fine now. So no guests this week, uh, which actually gives me an opportunity to talk about two topics that uh, I really want to go in depth on, uh, one sports-related, one not. And the first one is going to be the private school multiplier that uh, the Kansas State High School Activities Association recently passed through a vote of every school in the state. Uh, I'll kind of go into the details of that and what looks ahead uh, and the impact that it's going to have. And another topic that I want to talk about is non-sports related, and that is the uh, recent decision by the United States Supreme Court to overturn Roe v. Wade, uh, which will return uh, the decision of whether or not abortion uh, will be legal and accessible uh, to the states. Uh, and I understand that is a very emotional topic for every single person involved. It's essentially the litmus test for what presidential candidates people will vote for. And uh, I will explain my views and I'll explain what I think needs to be done going forward. Uh, give me give me your ears on that one uh, because I'll probably say things that will make both you know every side angry. And I think I'll say things that make sense to every side. Uh, and so bear with me on that issue, but let's start with the private school multiplier that was passed, uh, by the Kansas state high school association. Uh, so about a year ago, in fact, over a year ago now, over a year, almost, you know, a, a year plus a week ago, uh, you know, a special committee by, formed by Keisha came up with this private school multiplier that will apply to private schools and how they're classified right so now. Keisha classifies every school by straight attendance. And if uh and that's how you know classes 1A, 2A, 3A, 4A, 5A, and 6A are determined. And you know, a byproduct of that has been that private schools have won a disproportionate number of championships. Uh those in this area are gonna be familiar with St. Mary's Colgan and Bishop Meage. Uh those schools routinely win state titles in sports, uh, in the in their classes. And uh, while there's 28 private schools across Kansas, Bishop Meage is the one that comes to mind for a lot of Parsons and Labette County and Chanute fans in this area. Uh, Labette County has faced Bishop Meage in multiple sports in the postseason. Uh, Parsons, you know, was going to be in a state tournament with Bishop Meage uh, in basketball multiple times. Uh, Chanute has, has faced them multiple times. Baseball and softball faced Bishop Meage in the postseason this year for Chanute uh, and those are two private schools that just, those are private schools that dominate Class 4A. Um, I'm sorry, at least Bishop Meage is a private school that dominates Class 4A. And, you know, there's examples of that throughout the state. Bishop Carroll is a very popular, is a very, uh, is a school that wins a lot in, in Class 5A. Uh, you have St. Thomas Aquinas, St. James Academy, St. Mary's Colgan, Hayden, Collegiate. These schools win a disproportionate number of state titles in comparison to their representation in the state throughout. So the state has been looking for answers to deal with this. And what the committee that formed about a year ago and studied, to my understanding, USD 503 Parsons Superintendent Lori Ray was on that committee. One thing that they looked at was, or what they came up with rather, 
was a three-part multiplier that accounts for recent success, geographic location, and free and reduced lunch rates. Uh, those three factors determine the multiplier number, which will be anywhere from 1.0, so it's just if your population is multiplied by straight one, your population doesn't change, or 1.75, which obviously is you're approaching doubling it. Uh, to that, that multiplier will be applied to a private school's attendance number if the success factor is not triggered. So if you don't win, I believe it's 10 state championships over five years. Don't quote me on that. I can pull that up. In fact, I am going to pull that up right now. But uh, I am pulling that up on a computer. But if they do not win a um, multiplier, I know how to type. If they do not win X number of state championships over a given time frame, none of the other factors trigger. So your multiplier stays at one, basically, if you're not a successful school. Uh, for this, all right, so I pulled up the official Keisha Press release. For the success factor, private schools that have won 10 or more championships across all sports and activities over the most recent five-year period would have 0.3 added. Schools with five to nine championships would have 0.15. Schools with four or less would receive no addition. And if that is not triggered, the geographic and uh, free and reduced run rate factors are not triggered. Uh, for socioeconomics, that free and reduced lunch rate, private schools with less than 20% of enrolled students receiving free reduced lunches would have 0.15 added to their multiplier. Schools with at least 20% would have no addition. And then the other one is geographic location. Private schools receive 0.3 if they're located in a 6 to 5A population area, 0.15 in a 4 to 3A, and no addition in 2 to 1A. So a, a good example of that is St. Mary's Colgan would have 0.3 tagged to it because it's in uh, Pittsburgh's area. Uh, so uh, that is the multiplier that uh, the Kansas State High School Activities Association's committee came up with. Uh, they pitched it to the state. It was workshopped around the state for about a year. And then it, during the uh, spring semester, Keisha sent out a ballot uh, for every member school to cast a vote, every school in the state uh, to cast a vote. And the final tally on that was... Uh, you know, four of and for that to pass, a majority of classifications had to vote in favor of it, which means you know four out of six, and then a majority of all schools had to vote for it. Uh, classes one, two, three, and four A voted their majority in favor of the proposal, uh, which gave the classification number, and a majority of schools voted for it, so it passed. So, but that does not mean the private school multiplier is now going into effect. Uh, the, the, because it changes a bylaw within Keisha's handbook, um, it must be approved by the Kansas state board of education. That step is largely believed to be a formality. Think of it from this perspective, uh, the state of Kansas, which obviously the state board of education is one arm of, uh, th they task, uh, Keisha with governing high school athletics and high school activities. So, it's very weird that they would thumb their nose at something that they that uh, that the, a body an association that they are tasked with doing their job that they're gonna flip on them. So widely believed to be a formality to get approval from the state board of education, but there are two interesting uh, red flags. Most notably, those red flags are named uh, Dina Horst and Jim McNeese. Those are two Kansas State Board of Education representatives on the Acacia. On, Keisha, on various Keisha boards, I believe Dina Horst serves on the executive board and Jim McNeese is on, is on, is on the board of directors. Horst also serves on the board of directors. 
Both of them voted no for this proposal. Uh, there are only two of, I believe, 10 uh, Kansas State Board of Education members. Uh, so we, we don't know exactly how that's going to affect. It's also a different perspective. Uh, how their duties to Keisha, which is to vote in favor of proposals they feel are in the best interest of Keisha versus their duties to the State Board of Education, which is to maybe honor the voice that Keisha has made known. Those are different things. So, I, so you know, red flags there, but passing the State Board of Education, I believe, is largely a formality. That could go at any point here in the next few months. Then it has to be not necessarily approved, but a change in statute, a change in Kansas statute has to be done in order for this to pass. Uh, and I'm going to, I'm pulling up a story that I actually wrote, uh, for the Parsons son, a, uh, a couple of about a week ago. And, uh, I'll read the statute, you know, as is, which is, as I pull that up, uh, it is KSA 72-7114, uh, which says that, uh, you know, high school sports must be classified, quote, according to student attendance. Bill Fafflick, the, the executive director of Keisha, brings up a good point. Um, he goes, you know, he said, well, you know, one thing I wrote, which is while aspects of the multiplier could be litigated by the state, uh, by the state legislature, Fafflick said a simple change in the statute could be the answer. Removing those four words according to student attendance or adding three words and other factors frees up Keisha to enact the multiplier. The quote I got from Fafflick was, quote, the real question for legislators will be whether or not they want to get into the weeds of the multiplier or just add some relief to the statute. The more simple it is, the easier it'll be. So I think Keisha's going to try to attack this uh, with let's just, you know, just give us, just let us do what we want, so to speak, um, and uh, it, try to go through it with as little litigation as possible. A fear among some Keisha officials and others around the state is that this multiplier, that change in the statute, could be tied up with the Fairness in Women's Sports Act, which bans uh, transgender women from competing in female sports. Um, it ban it also could be tied up with other issues and. I've discussed those issues. I've discussed other controversial issues that involve high school sports that the Kansas State Legislature has considered in the past before on this show. I don't want to litigate those right now, but the concern there is all of a sudden, if it gets to the legislature and the trans industry starts being tied with this, now all of a sudden you have something that Keisha was not advocating for one way or the other, did not want to be addressed, all of a sudden being addressed with an issue, the issue of the multiplier, that the entire state has made their voice heard. So that is certainly, that is a concern. But And, I, you know, I spoke with uh, uh, Virgil Peck, who is the, uh, uh, Senator Virgil Peck, a Republican, who represents parts of Labette County, Montgomery, and Neosho counties. Uh, he objected to the free and reduced lunch rates being one of the three factors included in the multiplier. Uh, but one thing he said that that really I, I think people need to take heed of is, and I'll read it quote verbatim, usually it'll take three or four attempts before something gets traction. On a major change like this, you'll see people making arguments on both sides. I hope schools aren't expecting to see this fly through the legislature. He's right. He's just right. There's a lot of things I disagree with on Virgil Peck. He has said some very inflammatory things um, in the past. Uh, he is someone I did not vote for. And I'm, you know, 
I'm all about transparency, but he he is the state senator for uh, Labette, uh, Neosho, and Montgomery counties, at least parts of them. And he's right that this may take, I mean, this may take years. This may take years. The earliest it's going to be is January because that's when the legislative session starts. So we're not going to see it for the 2022-23 school year. Uh, and we may not see it for 23-24 or 24-25. Brace for another long haul. Uh, the line I kind of wrote in my story analyzing the path forward for this was that uh, it, it took uh, nearly a full calendar year for the three-part private school multiplier uh, to pass every layer of approval. Uh, work, it took workshopping efforts around the state. That endeavor followed a generation of struggles to push reform through. The reward for all of that? You get to convince politicians now. Actual, real politicians. So the private school multiplier, um, it's picking up a lot of steam, uh, but a long way to go. Uh, when, more War Room when we come back here on KLKC Radio. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to the War Room here on KLKC Radio. I'm your host, Sean Fry, and we're going to deviate from sports, and I want to talk about abortion. And I understand that is how divisive the topic is, how emotional the topic is. It's an emotional topic for me, and I'm a, I'm a white man. I do not have the perspective needed to fully grasp the impacts that Friday's ruling by the United States Supreme Court uh, that had legalized abortion nationwide uh, and the removal of those of that uh, lawful legal access across the country. Uh, I had not, I do not have the perspective to fully understand its impacts. I can only speak from my perspective. And my perspective is one that I was raised and I'm, I was raised and still am Catholic. I'm a confirmed Catholic who is pro-life. And that means I have opposed abortion my entire life. And it's about as far, you know, on the in terms of a political spectrum, my views on abortion are the on the furthest end of any view on any issue I have. I think issues of racism and gun violence and uh, poverty and infrastructure and immigration and everything, I, I think, rests somewhere pretty close to the middle. But my view on abortion is as far to the quote-unquote right end as possible, which is I do not believe it is justified. I, I believe that life begins at conception. And... I understand the impact. I do understand the impact that every pregnancy and every life has. My stepmother was the mother to two twins, Stephanie and Rachel, who were born prematurely. And both of them died. I have, I've had two half-sisters pass away due to complicated pregnancies. Uh, but they were born. But their lives had so much impact on me even before they were born and even afterwards. And I value that life. I will say this. You cannot, and this is, I'm quoting the Pope at this point. I'm quoting Pope Francis. You cannot be pro-life and turn a blind eye to racism. You cannot be pro-life and turn a blind eye to gun violence in this country. You cannot be pro-life and be in favor of the death penalty. 
So, I also believe you cannot be pro-life and turn a blind eye to the disproportionate harm that the Roe v. Wade decision will cause women throughout this country. I'm going to speak as factually as possible and try to give and try to get people to think in a new light. The economic impact on women in this decision is de- is going to be devastating. You know, I remember you know, there was something that struck me about the arguments in the case of uh let me get the case right. Uh, it was Dobbs versus a women's clinic in in Mississippi. That was ultimately the case that Roe was overturned. Uh, and Julie Rickleman, she was the litigation director for the Center for Reproductive Rights. Uh, she was arguing to have a ban on abortions after 15 weeks overturned. So she was arguing against the ban. Uh, she goes, in fact, the data has been very clear that over the last 50 years that abortion has been critical to women's equal participation in society. It's been critical to their health, their lives, and their ability to pursue. And then she was cut off by Chief Justice Roberts, who said, I'm sorry, what kind of data is that? When Rickleman tried to answer, according to an article in The New Yorker, when Rickleman tried to answer, Roberts interrupted again. Well, putting that data aside, why would 15 weeks be an inappropriate line? Why why are we putting data aside? Why are we putting data aside as the United States Supreme Court? I, I get frustrated when people just do not operate on full sets of information. The more information, the better. There should be a thirst for learning and knowledge in this society, but yet we have the Supreme Court cutting off people. Maybe you didn't agree with her. I don't agree with her. I don't agree with somebody advocating for abortion. But you should be, but you we're not even trying to listen to her. And, and that is that is a fallacy. That is that is a failure of the Supreme Court right there. There are economic impacts. Uh to uh, abortion that need to be addressed by people who are pro-life. If you're pro-life, you have to find answers to this. And I want to. And I want to. I want to be. Uh, I'll be any part that I can of finding an answer to this. Unwanted pregnancies affect women's education, employment, and earning prospects, and they impact the labor market more broadly. Tiffany Green, an economist and population health scientist at the University of Wisconsin School of Medicine, noted that many of those effects disproportionately fall who are already marginalized, women of color, non-binary, and transgender people. In 2014, 49% of all abortions were obtained by people who were below the federal poverty line. 49% of people in just eight years ago, nearly, so half. Half of all people who get abortions are impoverished already. It is not the answer to just say, well, tough, carry a, ter- carry a pregnancy to term. There must be support for that child. If you're pro-life, you're pro that child. You're pro that mother. And it's time to dedicate financial resources to them. 
it is time to put our money where our mouth is. As of 2004, a third were obtained by people who were white, 37% who were black, and 22% by Hispanic. Black women are significantly more likely than white women to experience an unintended pregnancy owing to disparities in the economy and healthcare system and other factors. For the same group, childbirth is more dangerous. When you believe, Whether you believe abortion is a moral thing or not, the evidence is the evidence. The overwhelming thrust of the evidence is that this, is, this will negatively impact women and other pregnant people's economic prospects, their mental health, their physical health, and ultimately their lives. Right now, over half of all states are likely going to ban most, if not all, abortions. And that is going to... Here, here, I, I want to also share some stats on the effects that the Roe v. Wade decision had when, when abortion was legalized throughout this country in the 70s. It had dramatic effects on the ages and the circumstances under which women became mothers. It reduced the number of teenage mothers by a third. And the women who got married as teenagers, it reduced it by a fifth. So by 33% and 20%, some of the most at-risk categories, te- married, you know, Marrying teenager, you know, newlywed teenage brides, which are not something I think is healthy for an American society that knows better, and teenage motherhood went down by a fifth. Those effects are concentrated among young women and women of color. Even when abortion was illegal back in the 70s, women who had the means found a way. Women who were able to delay motherhood through legal access to abortion were much more likely to finish college, pursue higher degrees, spend longer in the labor force, and enter higher-paying occupations. They were far less likely to fall into poverty later years in life. Fifty years later, the question is, does that still matter? To me, that matters. And now, we have to find a way to ensure that those trend lines keep going in the, in the direction they were going. Fewer teenage pregnancies, fewer teenage, fewer teenage weddings, more financial opportunities for women. That's a trend line we need to keep going. And this decision has the opportunity to reverse that. What in your community do you do to address the issues of at-risk pregnancies? The infant mortality rate, the or the 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 infant mortality rate and the birth rate and the and pregnancy rates in all this country, they're terrible for a developed nation. We do not treat pregnancy with the respect it deserves. This country has not taken a pro-life approach to pregnancy. Roe v. Wade doesn't change that. The reversal of Roe v. Wade doesn't change that. Hunter Schlegman, the Chanute Tribune sports editor, who I work with most days. Uh, his wife is undergoing a difficult pregnancy right now. And their financial straits are being stretched to their limits. They are having to do GoFundMe fundraisers and disc golf tournaments. They are. And they've done everything right. These are two well-loving people in a committed relationship, in a marriage. 
and we are failing them. We're failing them. We are failing women and children across this country. Roe v. Wade and the issue of abortion is just one part of that. How are we going to fix it? Because there's about to be a lot more women in need right now. What is the pro-life approach to this? There has to be more clinics that provide reproductive health care. And reproductive health care doesn't have to be just abortion. I don't want it to be abortion. I do not believe in abortion. But reproductive health care is pitiful in this country. And it must be addressed. It has to be fixed. In the state of Kansas, this is this is this is a unique issue in the state of Kansas now. Uh, come November in the election, everybody should be voting, by the way. Every single person needs to be voting. There's no excuse for not voting at this point. Uh, there is a ballot measure. Uh, the Kansas No State Constitutional Right to Abortion and Legislative Power to Regulate Abortion Amendment. Uh, say that 10 times fast. It's on the ballot. Uh, uh, it'll be in August 2022. So sorry, not November. It'll be in August 2022. A yes vote supports amending the Kansas Constitution to state that nothing in the state constitution creates a right to abortion or requires government funding for abortion, and that the state legislature has the authority to pass laws regarding abortion. That's how I'm going to vote. A no vote opposes amending the Kansas Constitution to state that nothing in the state constitution creates a right to abortion. So if you're voting no, uh, you are actually affirming a Kansas Supreme Court decision that guaranteed the right to an abortion. If you vote yes, you want that decision essentially tossed out. I'm going to vote yes because I do not believe in abortion. But I want to know how this state is going to solve issues of reproductive health. We need to do more. And I hope that the reversal of Roe v. Wade by the United States Supreme Court awakens everybody who claims to be pro-life to those issues that have been at hand now for far too long. I'm your host, Sean Fry. This has been The War Room.